Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of Everyone is Hot, the podcast that talks about your favorite stealth sex symbols and the film or movie or TV show. We talk about so many things. (laughs) Films and movies. (laughs) Yeah. Plays uh, that turned you on to them. Autobiographies, maybe? Who knows? Um, uh, I'm Michael Stevens. And I'm Shelley Brooks. (laughs) And today we have a very, very uh, special mini-sode for you. Um, Just a couple weeks uh, we talked with our dear friend Jamie Cameron about uh, what movie did we talk? Not about? the director of Avatar. Not um, the director of Avatar. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie Cameron, or, British poet. <laughs> but who knows? But maybe he also can, uh, you know, drive submarines. We don't know. We don't um, know. <laughs> we do know he's a great poet, and we talked about uh, Michael Stuhlbarg and a serious man. Yes. Uh, how cool would that be, though, if he was pulling a Hannah Montana? I will say I've never seen James Cameron, the filmmaker, and Jamie Cameron, the poet, in the same room. So I gotta say, he looks really good for his age. (laughs) Yeah, I was gonna say he grew like maybe a foot. (laughs) Who knows? Maybe James Cameron is tall, but I will say Jamie Cameron is quite tall. (laughs) We should have had him on when we talked about T two. Ah, I listen. Come on. (laughs) Look, it won't be the last time we talk about T two. So maybe we can have Jamie Cameron on to talk about T two one day. It could happen. We will see. Uh, but that is not our subject today. So no, no, no. Tying in with our a serious man episode, you know, in in that conversation, we talked a little bit about the the overall oeuvre of the Coen Brothers. Uh, so we're going to talk about a a Coen Brothers movie that is very special to me, and I am curious to hear your relationship with this movie, Michael. Um, but today we're going to talk about. The Coen Brothers' 1987 film, Raising Arizona. Yes, yes, yes. Um, And just for context, y'all, I actually haven't seen Raising Arizona until the first time I watched it for this show. I think this is a recurring theme on this show. I've seen a lot of movies. We just don't talk about the ones (laughs) that I've seen. I know, um, yeah. You keep asking me to do like, you know, comic book adaptations, and I'm like, nah. It's not always comic adaptations. It's not, no, it's Some, not always that. That's sometimes true. So you've seen a lot of movies. There sometimes it's something very specific, like, oh, let's watch uh I can't even remember the title of it. Candyman. Um and wait, we have I can't believe we haven't talked about Candyman. We haven't talked about Candyman, and I've seen Candyman. We haven't talked about Mystery Men, which is not based on anything real. <laughs> um, we haven't talked about Pee Wee Herman. Uh, we haven't talked about. Listen, you are naming uh, a bunch of stuff that I would love to talk about. So God. listen, we've got, we've got an ever growing list of movies to talk about. So Michael, send me some of these movies because I I, I, I I fucking love Pee Wee. I love Candyman. Come on, <laughs> there is a monster movie from the early 1990s, and then after I say this, we're gonna get to our main topic, but. Yes. Um, God, it is called Nightbreed. Um, and I've been dying to talk about that movie since I believe it was my first rated R movie. And oh, that's a yeah. good topic. Listeners, it's, shut your ears. We're 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 planning future episodes. First rated a, R movie is gonna be a good one. <laughs> you know, the minisodes always offer a peek behind the curtain, and yes. you know, every every episode I feel like we're talking about the movie that we're gonna talk about, and then we're talking about the movie that we're going to talk about yeah. in like We're 10 episodes. A, a meta conversation about like the, <laughs> the trajectory of the podcast. But anyway, so Raising Arizona is the Oh, one God. We're now we're talking about today. Raising Arizona. Right. Yes. <laughs> so this um, is your first viewing of it. 
so in in our previous episode with uh, comedian and musician Devin Gant, we had talked about uh, Mission or not Men in Black, not Mission Impossible. Um, but we might. Something, Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll do all the MI movies. Um. So we we talked about the kinds of movies that would be quoted in our households constantly. And this was one of those for me. My parents quoted this movie constantly. And like something we also talked about in that episode was, you know, hearing quotes from movies uh, that is just like part of the lingo in your family. And then later seeing the movie and being like, oh, my God, that's where that came from. Uh, My parents famously constantly say the line, uh, so many social engagements, so little time. Uh. <laughs> John Goodman says in the movie and it wasn't until years later that I saw Raising Arizona and I was like oh that's why we've been saying that for my entire life <laughs> oh my god um, that is wild so you had no idea what anybody was talking about before you had seen it yeah because I, I think I first saw this probably sometime in high school um, but yeah it, it, like that was just a phrase that like anytime we had something going on anytime there was like a conflict between multiple things anytime you know they talked about being tired not wanting to go to something it was always so many social engagements so little time god oh constantly we also got a lot of uh son you got a panty on your head and uh hi (laughs) i want a baby (laughs) those were a little harder to like get in contextually (laughs) yeah oh god (laughs) But yeah, you got a panty on your head was a was a big one for us as well. <laughs> I I wish I could say I had the same relationship with this movie, but um, I, I'm actually glad to be watching it now as an adult because it definitely seems yeah. like a movie that like my dad would have uh, shown me in the year that he showed me like every movie. Um, yes. But uh, <laughs> the Reservoir Dogs m- year. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it, it was Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction as the movie that was most quoted. Um, like, <laughs> oh, God. What's, yeah, what, yeah, what exactly were the quotes that you're I'm your trying to think of saying. what my dad says. <laughs> you fucking fuck. Hmm. I'm going to fuck you up, you fucking fuck. <laughs> Is that, it was mostly quotes from the Winston Wolf scene. I was like, hmm, is nice. that coffee? Can you make me a cup? Uh, just like, they wouldn't even be exact quotes. A lot of the time, they would be paraphrases that my dad would do in the style of Harvey Keitel. Um, he would quote, uh, the Captain Coons monologue all the time. Um, yeah, I thought you can get some freeze dried taste of choice, but you had to go get this gourmet shit like every fucking day of my life. Um, to this day, to this day, when I see him, um, there's, there's at least, there's at least a, a Pulp Fiction quote, but never any Raising Arizonas. And I, uh, have some questions for you. Um, so I really enjoyed this movie. Did you like, did you like, you like this movie? I fucking love this movie. So I I hadn't watched it in a few years. Um, so it was, it was a treat to rewatch it. Um, cause I, I, I tried to watch it. I think every, every few years. Cause to me, it it is kind of like a a perfect comedy. Like it, it it so works for me. And I, you know, I love every actor in it. I love how tuned in every performance is to this, like, Cohen brothers style like I love that they have like an actor's like house style in the way that like yeah. Wes Anderson also does like this very sort of like specific stylization that god it, it works for me so well yeah um 
So I have seen but a handful of Coen Brothers movies. So my I have a very vague kind of handle on their overall aesthetic. But when I watch something, I do, I do have a sense of like, oh, shit, mm. they're doing that thing they do. <laughs> um, but a while back, I had watched. I was like, oh, I want to like really get into the Coen Brothers. And so mm. I started with Blood Simple, um, which was <laughs> that was their first movie. Right. Yeah, I think their first feature. Yeah. And that's yeah. where um, Joel and Francis McDormand met and fell in love. And in that, I was like, oh, this is fun, but not what comes to mind when I think about like their co- the mm-hmm. Coen Brothers vibe. And so Raising Arizona is their first movie. After that, they're established. They have like a bit more sway. The people with mm-hmm. the giant bags of money are like, hey, we'll give you a little bit more. And so they're like, tight, we're going to get uh holly hunter we're gonna get uh francis mcdormand we're gonna get nicholas cage who's probably going to have a lot of his own ideas um all of this to say i like the movie my question (laughs) for you is uh we both liked it but is it a is it a everyone is hot movie or is it like a generic hot movie based on the cast that we have. Ooh, I I mean, I think it's undeniably an everyone is hot movie because even, I mean, we oh, had God. as a, a stealth sex symbol, uh, Holly Hunter on a previous episode with Brett Bowen, Bowen. We talked about broadcast news. She's obviously an objectively beautiful woman, but I think the stylization is the key to making it an everyone is hot movie because everyone, they're pulling grotesque faces. They're all, you know, these like weird, you know, kind of over the top stylized characters that like, so even if you have someone who is like, you know, a, a classically beautiful person, like a Holly Hunter, they, they're doing something that's off kilter enough that I think rather than standard hot, they're, they're everyone is hot, hot. <laughs> she is, car- she is like cartoonishly weeping so yes. much <laughs> in this movie. And like the shit that she says is just so crazy her accent is so over the top um it does make her very sexy in like a specific way and then there's that height the 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 difference in size and shape between her and Nicolas Cage which I'm very much drawn to um Nicolas Cage who I think like I think he's kind of regular hot in this movie like Mm -hmm. he's Austin Butler Ryan Gosling like I want to be a weird guy and (laughs) This is before he actually does become, in my opinion, before he transforms into like the weirdo Nicolas Cage that like yeah. we all know and recognize, but know and love. <laughs> yeah, but I would. Yeah, I mean, when you think about everybody that's in the cast, like mm-hmm. Holly Hunter, Nicolas Cage being his strangest, and who can forget John Goodman? Um, John Goodman is so and, fucking oh, <laughs> Francis McDormand. We never talk about Francis yes. McDormand enough. Oh, and um, her wig in this movie is oh, she's God. got the most hair. <laughs> God, I um, you're probably gonna hear me typing a lot during episodes for the show now because I like to look at a picture, um, <laughs> of the person we're talking about. Sure. And man, oh man, her face, like <sighs> Frances McDormand. I'm gonna pause for a moment. Shelley, what was the first movie that made you go, oh? Frances McDormand has it fucking going on. She's like, oh god, I feel like it, was, it must have been the first. I don't, I don't know what the first movie that I saw her in was, but it must have been that one because I mean, she, God, she's such a fucking. I, actually, maybe it was Fargo. I think that that's probably like a kind of cliche answer, but I mean, she's just she's so beautiful in it, but also the sort of like 
the warmth of her presence in it is just so like undeniable. Like I love that in this movie in Raising Arizona, you know, she plays a supporting role and she's, you know, playing this kind of like broad character caricature. She's playing this kind of like, you know, spiky kind of unlikable character. But then in something like Fargo, I mean, the, the warmth she's able to project is just, uh, because yeah. I mean, like you know, the Coens get a lot of. I was going to say flack. It's not flack. It's just yeah. it's just a, a reading of their movies that like they can be nihilistic. I mean, something like a uh, you know, No Country for Old Men, something like Burn After Reading. Those are deeply, those movies have deeply dark worldviews. And something like Fargo. I mean, while it is a, a dark movie in many respects, I think it's because so sweet. of. Yeah, Marge's character and because of Frances McDormand's performance, there is this kind of like locus of hope in it because like that's like a a pure good person, you know? It's what I love about a movie. It's no matter what kind of world um, a character can be in, um, Mm -hmm. as long as the the character themselves uh, has some kind of... uh, uh, has yeah, like you said, some kind of hope, some kind of uh, mm-hmm. shit. I I I just remember watching like Fargo for the first time, yeah. and like feeling so deeply like comforted by her character with all this shit that's yeah. happening. She was so funny, um, mm-hmm. so warm, and I remember that being the thing that made me go like, oh shit, like I am attracted to Frances McDormand in like a three dimensional way because. Yeah. Because the first time it was just when I first saw her in Madeline <laughs> as Miss Clavel. Oh, I I was gonna guess Darkman. No, I can't believe it was Madeline. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was it was Madeline first in 1998, and I was like, love it. That is a she is sexy. <laughs> yes, she is sexy, and I am seven. What? <laughs> she is like there are women who are pretty. And yeah. now I think I know what sexy is because of this lady with yeah. this, these immaculate <laughs> eyebrows, her beautiful chin, uh, the like perfect like lines in her face. Like, oh, give me yeah. more of those fucking lines. Oh, um, yeah. But that was like a primal attraction. And then uh, I, I don't know if I could. Yeah, it was a it was a I guess it. I would characterize it now as a primal attraction. Then I was just mm-hmm. kind of like, wow, this lady, I don't know. Ooh, this lady. <laughs> I, how? Why? This lady. But in fucking uh, Fargo, she is just, oh, and it's, and it's think, a spiritual thing. <laughs> it's a bond. I agree. Yeah. And like, it's interesting her in like the Cohen movies because she's, she's amazing in Blood Simple. And she's, she's talked about the process of making that movie. I think it might've been her first feature as well oh really Um, but she's she's very young in it and she's talked about like how she was like really kind of like learning how to be a screen actor on the job and there's there's something she's she's so beautiful in that youthful way that you know is completely disarming and like so attractive but I think Fargo is so much more interesting and attractive to me because like she she feels like she's a like a master of her craft in that movie and like I you know this is there are obviously like a, a million great scenes in that film, but I think what always impresses me is um, the Mike Yanagida scene 
because she she balances the moods oh. in that so well. Like it's funny, but it's sad and it's yeah. tender. And like you know, we we've talked off off mic about wanting to do a, a Steve Park episode because he is incredible in that, and he you know is always great in these Coen Brothers movies. He's a, a favorite of Wes Anderson now, and you know he's a, has a storied comedy career. Steve Park, huge hottie, great in that scene. Um, but yeah, it, it, like you see them together in that. And it's just two two actors who like totally know their craft and totally know how to like manipulate tone and balance multiple feelings at once in a way that is like so hot <laughs> to watch. So we absolutely need to uh, deep dive on this scene. Um, yeah. <laughs> like they Listen, do a they very do a whole episode about <laughs> the Mike Yanagita scene. Like I am so down for that. <laughs> I, Cause this is the thing that gets me. I, I love, I love hearing you talk about like actors who are like really into their craft because in certain ways, like uh, Francis McDormand uh, reminds me of like what she, the way she makes me feel whenever she's on screen is the same way I feel whenever Willem Dafoe is on screen with like his mm. level of expertise and so much of his like stage training. Um, like some coincidence that they both worked with the Worcester group. Oh shit. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. So if listeners, you know, are not theater heads, the Worcester group is an experimental theater group in New York. Um, but yeah, both of them have done work with them extensively. And yeah. so I mean, they, they've got a, a real basis in, you know, technique and how to use their bodies and also not in playing just like strict realism. Like they're not, you know, method actors. They're people who, you know, are they have, it's a very different discipline doing this kind of avant-garde theater. Yes. Yes. And I feel like it's important to remember that acting is a tool that allows you to do many different things and paint many different kinds of pictures. Um, and when she is in like weirdo, when like Frances McDormand is in like, oh, I, I get it. This movie's a cartoon. I'm playing a cartoon character. Yeah. The way that she can do that is so fun. But then uh, her ability to play realism in something like Nomadland, which is a movie that I fell asleep during, but <laughs> she like I was lured into watching it, and uh, she is captivating, but it's also like kind of taking well, a nap next to a. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, being able to you know fulfill the assignment of like if you're playing a kind of cartoonish character, going back to raising Arizona, yep. I think that's something that Holly Hunter does so beautifully because I mean you know people get made fun of on social media I think a lot for um, not having any lips and Holly Hunter doesn't really have really? any lips. I think it's in service to her in this movie because she the things she does with her mouth she will make a like a straight line with her mouth like a cartoon character. And and then she will make I I can only describe it like geometrically like when she does that over the top kind of crying it's like it'll again yeah. be like a cartoon character where you have like the arch at the top and the straight line at the bottom like she she makes her face truly look like a drawing and yeah it's incredible to me <laughs> um a drawing indeed um uh I'm looking at a picture of her face right now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like I I don't even think I could do it. <laughs> um, I, I know I, I I'm like in awe of it, like how she manipulates her face, and I think that something the Coens do so well, especially when they are working in comedy and working in these more kind of like heightened archetypal cartoony characters, 
is that they populate the screen with all of these different physical types so th- so that it looks like a frame of a, car- a cartoon. It's like a cartoon kind of or like- Richard Scary storybook. Like- yes, like you see tiny Holly Hunter in all her angularity with her flat <laughs> mouth and her like sharp cheeks. And then you see big John Goodman who's so much taller than her and he's all rounded shapes. Like yeah. they, they find these like incredible contrasts visually between actors in a way that like, Oh God, it's it's so it's so gratifying to watch. Oh God, yeah. Um, so I was reading, uh, where, I don't know where I was reading this, but they were talking about um, like all of the different uh, references that mm. the coincided to build the kind of the dialogue because the way that people talk in this movie is not normal. Uh, surprise! <laughs> yeah, you're watching a movie. Voiceover. We have yes. to. Yeah. We have to acknowledge the voiceover with its like poetic, like my oh, yeah. my could find no purchase in the barren landscape of her womb or whatever he says. Like, <laughs> so it was basically like local Arizona dialect plus the Bible mm-hmm. plus magazines and like <laughs> that description. Yeah, like you definitely get a sense. Like, ah, people are like people communicate in strange, you know, in this in yeah. this world. Um, their lexicon is very limited and they, uh, I just love that the Coens like in something like this or in something like Fargo, I mean, it's something I want to pay more attention to as I watch more of their movies, like mm-hmm. the way that, uh, characters are limited. Um, it, it's, it, it makes the world feel very, uh, fun and mm-hmm. dynamic and lived in without like. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know shit about the, the Coen brothers. I don't know their life. I don't know places <laughs> where they spent time, but like they seem to be able to like get a sense or create a real sense of uh, authenticity in these um, and these like big cartoony world mm-hmm. uh, and these fun uh, or I shouldn't say cartoony because they're not all cartoony. Uh, they're definitely not. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's just fun to see how how they bring like a certain level of authenticity to like all of those uh, worlds and how they kind of create a, a canvas for a lot of the actors to just do what the fuck they do. Like everyone is having such a fun time. Uh, John Goodman, who we have not talked about and we have eight minutes left. Um, he, he, I mean, what is oh. there to say beyond the fact that like it, John, John Goodman is truly like, he is my sort of like platonic ideal of an actor because he can do he can do like high art. He can do theater. He, I got, I, I think he did fall stuff. I think he played fall stuff a few years ago. What? I, yeah, I think it was like maybe at a, like a theater in LA. I don't know how it was received, but I mean, that is like my dream to like see him play fall stuff. Um, but I mean, he can do that, but then he can also be on Roseanne and be like the perfect like sitcom actor. And, you know, he can, he can take on the assignment to do a Coen brothers movie and, and do their, I mean, they've got these various modes, you know, they, they have crime films, they have comedies, they have dramas, and they all have like a a through line between them stylistically, but they ask very different things of their actors. Like, I mean, someone who is like good in Lewin Davis is not going to be, you know, doing the same kind of performance in Burn After Reading. Right. Um, or the Big Lebowski. And he, but he can morph into all of those. I mean, he's perfect I, I, titles I picked, I guess, because like he is in Big Lebowski and he is in Lewin Davis and he's doing incredibly different work in both oh of those. Oh my God. Those. And he, he's like this haunting sort of like shuffling 
broken down, like almost like spectral figure in Lewin Davis. And then he's Walter in fucking, you know, Big Lebowski. And he's, you know, over the top and energetic and hilarious. Uh, and yeah, he's, he's like such a protean actor. And I, I think it really speaks to his sort of like discipline and his technical skill that he can morph his, he, th- there's always the essential John Goodman in him, but he can morph yeah. into all these he can spin in so many different, different directions. Yeah, depending on the needs of the of the piece. It's, so, it's really incredible. As you were talking, I'm looking at pictures. I'm re-familiarizing myself with uh, like just the different faces of John Goodman, which <laughs> uh, next episode in the future sometime. Look forward to it. Oh, uh, he yes. plays so many different characters. And like I'm looking at him in like movies like Fred, like the Flintstones. And, <laughs> yes. Uh, Speed Racer, which is incredible. Yeah. Um he uh knows the assignment that he's doing. Um I like even his voice work is like mm-hmm. very fun. He's in complete command of his instrument. Um yeah. oh, god. Well, Shit. we talked about this a bit in a, a previous episode um with Holly Roshan when we talked about Barbara Stanwyck and how she plays oftentimes like working class characters, but she understands like the poetry of the different writers that she's working with and she understands every writer's like cadence. And she just has such a command of language. And I think that that Goodman is similar in that, that like they're not playing, you know, highfalutin academics or whatever. They're playing oftentimes working class characters, but they they understand the poetry of of the writing that they're working with. And and they find, you know, a kind of working class poetry, which I think is something that you don't see in. I think especially now because it's the barrier to entry in film, like technically yeah. it's lower than it's ever been because everyone has a, a, camera, a camera in their pocket. Yeah. But in terms of getting it distributed, it's maybe higher than it's ever been. Because um, you have to be a person from like a moneyed background to yeah. really make so you, shit happen for yourself as an artist. Yeah. Which so you is, get a lot of like Woody <laughs> Allen influenced people where everyone's like talky, talky, talky pseudo intellectuals. And yeah. so th- that is one thing that I do love about the Coens is that they've they've got they mostly focus I think on kind of working class on regular characters. people yeah, yeah. It, but uh, they but they speak with like eloquence and poetry of their yeah. own you know um you're gonna hear me set use the term regular people as a substitute <laughs> yeah. for working class yeah um, it, it doesn't but even have to be like, working class it could just be like middle class like just people yeah, yeah, yeah. who are not like you know talking in this like self aware academic way. What is middle class? What is middle class? Great question. <laughs> I will have to ask my parents. Yeah, I don't know shit about middle class. Um, yeah. No, working class. I know lower middle class. I know dreaming about being lower middle class. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I really. People, uh, older than us because it will not be happening for us. <laughs> you know, I really like the way that you've summarized it. I feel like a recurring theme in, on this show is like, You'll say something in a, you know, through in a critical, learned way that I will be like, I was thinking that the whole time, but I didn't have any of the words or like I didn't take any time to like figure out how to how to say that. But it's a feeling I've been feeling all my life, Mm. Um, like especially when I watch a movie like uh, Raising Arizona or like in the the past I, I have when I was familiar with the Coen brothers through something like Fargo. I got the sense of like, ah, these people just like me. And <laughs> it's not a joke. You know, yeah. they're not making fun of fucking working class, yeah. uh, middle class people. Um, this seems to be like a lot of love and a lot of excitement about, mm-hmm. you know, the regular, regular world um, yeah. with the way they apply like 
with the way that they sort of amplify this world with like the cartoon uh act cartoonish action sequences and like the really fun like dynamic um almost like horror movie uh <laughs> camera work at certain points of the movie yeah. um you mentioned uh dark man earlier and that yeah. made me think like oh there was like a camera movement that was very that was very dark man uh mm. that was like very Raimi, it like straight into someone's mouth. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that's a great point that you bring up about it not being like making fun of them. Because I mean, I, I, it maybe is a little bit, but I mean, I, I think that there. But it's making are... fun, and it's not like but, just but, mean or. Yeah, and and I think that there ignorant. there's something with the Cohen brothers that I think is similar to like what has been, um. That, that like Mike Lee has been accused of, which is, you know, these like middle class or upper middle class filmmakers often working with, you know, working class characters who are maybe a bit exaggerated, maybe are, you know, a bit archetypal, maybe a bit cartoonish um, and, and finding that condescending. And I, and I, I think that's wrong. And I think both with the Coens and with Mike Lee, I think that like that point of view, I think is actually more classist because it's like I, I, I think it's operating from the assumption that like if you're portraying a working class character they have to be like perfect you know sort of like class martyrs or something oh yeah they have to be like moral and good and yeah da, 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 da. and it's like no no <laughs> yeah and like even when it comes to like regionality it's like you know i'm from the south and like it, people there are loud and verbose and and goofy and often cartoonish and often you know speak in a strange kind of poetry like I and I think that like the Coens and Mike Lee like they get that sort of like regionality they get that sort of like specificity and that bigness and they and celebrate I, I, it yeah yeah and I I really resent this idea that like you know the only appropriate kind of like working class character is like one that is you know kind noble. of like a silent yeah silent and yeah. noble it's like fuck that yeah. <laughs> I am good I yeah. am good. I'm here to be good. Yeah, uh, I mean, this is why I, I hate so many sort of like minimalist like movies about like the struggles of the working class, where it's like no what's, one. What's a movie? Tell me a movie that you hate. I want to know. Um, I I don't want to put anything on blast right now because I because mean, because there, there it is. I think it's a bit of a genre, you know. Yeah, like, but like I oh, I know you there, can't talk about individual films in that genre that I do like, but like I do think there is a bit of a trend in some movies to be like if you're gonna show poor people then like it has to be like you know gritty images of them like you know sitting in the flat or maybe they're sitting on the plains like you know looking out at the grass being like and they don't they don't talk <laughs> they when they talk to each other it's just like Paul did you go to the mall today <laughs> or like or, or like an Good American morning. one it's like well did you hear they're shutting off our water yeah and it's like yeah. most people don't we talk like that, that. that's why, that's why <laughs> i stocked make... up on poland spring yeah <laughs> they're pissing in the water now yes, Can't exactly. believe it. oh man dang i got laid off from the mines and it's like Damn. people make jokes and they like they watch tv and they read magazines it's like they have things to talk about when they're not just being like isn't it hard being poor <laughs> well now i want to do a deep dive on a couple of things one of them being mike lee because i, I gotta give him another chance after we talked about naked i had a miserable time <laughs> watching naked yeah, we did start you off with like the most bleak mike lee movie yeah. possible <laughs> and then we decided to do hundreds of episodes of a podcast after that <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're gonna watch 
watch the movie Life is Sweet because you are going to love that fucking Mike Lee. Yeah, movie. give me give me like the top three Mike Lees. I will watch the Mike Lees <sighs> because I am very much interested in seeing more of uh you know a working class, not a working class perspective, but perspectives either a working class perspective or like imagine worlds of uh, working class people because mm-hmm. I don't sweet no there's none of us see enough of it. Um, yeah. And that's for, you know, probably good reason. I'm a conspiracy theorist, just like my dad. So, like, <laughs> I don't know. There's a reason they don't want us to see, you know, regular ass people living their lives. But I mean, um, there, there's some truth to that. <laughs> I, I also want to see kind of the ones that you're uh, not trying to put on blast, but are referencing. Um, yeah. Because I don't know. I feel like there's a there's a market for a, a working cl- a movie called working class drama that is a comedy. Yes. <laughs> but yes. It's, it's just using the tropes of like a working class film um, written by someone who doesn't get uh, the working class. It would be just like a blown up version of that part in uh, Zoolander where he comes back with <laughs> to meet uh, his dad, John Voight, where he's like, I've got the black lung. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, oh, God. All right. We have lots of we always end these episodes with lots more uh homework which is always fun exactly. <laughs> um so i have a couple questions for you okay. um to close out um of all the cohen brothers john good all right first off who is the most hot person of this movie in like a everyone is hot kind of way because i have my answer Obvi- i, I kind of gave it away I, I think for me it's got to be a tie between holly hunter and john goodman okay I didn't think it was a tie. I thought it was just John Goodman, which is why <laughs> Fair. <laughs> the next question was which Cohen Brothers movie? I mean, shout out to Holly Hunter. We talked about you. Beautiful, wonderful. Yeah. Um, we will and never you, stop talking I, about you. I love you. what that mouth do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love what that mouth do. I love what that voice do. Shout out to the Incredibles. Um, I know <laughs> yes. your your ass is CGI in that, but um, and, and I'm sorry, but like we do have to remind the listeners who have not listened to every episode. Um, if you have not uh, looked up Anthony Lane's review of The Incredibles 2, please. We've talked about it before, but like, please look it up. Um, he is so horny for her CGI ass. He's so movie. fucking hot. And he literally has a line being like, the dads are going to have to put their popcorn buckets over their laps because they're going to have voters. <laughs> So look oh, up Anthony Lane for the New Yorker, our our esteemed magazine, <laughs> talking about her fat ass. In the oh my god! There, there's a lot of talk about Miss. Oh god! There's a lot of talk about Elastigirl's uh, fat ass, but there's not enough talk about her thighs. Her fucking like <laughs> thick thighs. And in Incredibles two, which I watched when I was babysitting, uh, there is some definite like a uh, sapphic energy between her and Katherine Keener's character. Oh. I thought they were going to kiss. I was sure. <laughs> Without a doubt. Um, so anyway, we know sorry. I derailed. Probably <laughs> the hottest movie. Um, <laughs> probably a tie between uh, Incredibles 2 and uh, Raising Arizona. But yeah. what is John Goodman's uh, hottest Coen Brothers uh, <sighs> hottest Coen Brothers movie? Man. Oh, this is I have my answer. So this is really hard because I, I, I think it's probably gonna be different, his like hottest and his best. There, yeah, it's of course it's gonna be but it's not called everyone is best, it's called everyone is hot. Yeah, true. <laughs> oh, everyone oh, is shit. a different podcast we'll do at a later yeah. date, depending okay. on who wins the election. But <laughs> um Okay. Um hmm. 
Okay, putting aside the fact that we are eventually going to have to do an episode about him in Barton Fink because that yes. is his best performance. I, I oh, I I can't believe I'm going to say this. His hottest might be Big Lebowski. Yeah, you know it is. You know it is. <laughs> it absolutely fucking is. It's yeah. Tinted sunglasses and yeah. the vest. <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen the movie, so I'm not biased. I feel like I get biased for movies that I are too recent in my brain. But the performance yeah. that he gives and the shape of his body and his whole fucking aesthetic, it's indelible. And he's like, a nice seared. Jewish boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's Shomer Shabbos. Come on. <laughs> oh my god. And he, oh, in the scene where he. <laughs> He fucks up the car, uh, and this is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass, which uh, famously on TV is changed to, this is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. Oh, my God. (laughs) Very, very sexy performance. He's so funny in it. And I assume, uh, Michael, you have seen, and I assume listeners, you have seen the video of him getting his star on the Hollywood uh, Walk of Fame. When, have uh, not i absolutely yes. have it was not. it was going around social media um jeff bridges uh puts on his dude sweater and talks about him and it's very sweet uh the two of them their their rapport that. is just incredible yeah i love <laughs> it is very you know, very hot <laughs> you know someone's a good person and probably like a a, a sexy person when they have friends uh that <laughs> you yeah. know for that, like <laughs> decades yeah. who genuinely like them <laughs> like old men who like each other and like seem to talk to each other that's oh, that's a God. big thing for old you men know, to have friends <laughs> there's an and, and it doesn't even mean you're a bad person a lot of the time there's an end epidemic of lonely old men which i'll probably talk about on a different podcast but <laughs> <laughs> um look. Yeah, that's a hot topic for us to talk about lonely yeah. old guys <laughs> look if you're an aging man Call up your friends. Keep in touch because, yes. look, life is long and it's so easy to fall out of touch. Uh, be like John Goodman. Uh, stay yeah. in touch. We should all with... be so lucky to go smoke a doobie with Jeff Bridges. <laughs> yeah, stay in touch with Jeff Bridges um, and Steve <laughs> Buscemi. Um, yes. Oh. God. Which, and... yeah. Oof. Mm. We talked about what, Steve Buscemi. What a... We did. We talked about Steve Buscemi in uh, Reservoir Dogs with uh, Brianna Ziegler. Yes, we did. Yes, uh, we did. And I, I, you know, famously said in that episode, I think that when I was working at the Brooklyn Academy of Music, he came to a premiere. He was dressed all in black. He looked so chic, and he was incredibly hot. It was, oh. and he went over to Aquafina and like told her that she was good in her movie, and it was very sweet. Oh, okay, friends, and then giving someone a compliment. Another thing that'll yes. keep you. <laughs> Uh, keep you hot forever is just like these are the secrets give compliments pay attention to people be like hey i really liked that essay you wrote it was really good yeah. it's really well done and speaking of giving compliments um what do you think listeners should do uh about our show oh uh look we're <laughs> i love the very do you like the segue I, that I was, was good, like, right? this is compliment. <laughs> Such a natural segue, Shelly. Thank you. Uh, I was so looking at the clock. <laughs> um, yeah. So look, we're about to wrap up. Um, I hope you had fun. Uh, if you liked what you listened to, uh, anywhere you can rate us, rate us five stars. I'm not even going to kick your ass or beat you up about it. Just like rate us five stars, no. you know, 
we're working class yeah, people. Yeah, we're going to be a nice brother you know? today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're working class people. Life is hard enough without you fucking uh, <laughs> not giving us five stars, you fuck. Yeah. Um, you're going to be forgiving like uh, Nathan Arizona was when they returned the baby. You know, uh, we're all just doing our best. We're all just doing our best, you know. <laughs> he didn't want all those babies, but he thought it was nice they brought them back. <laughs> uh, and uh, look, follow us on all social media wherever you can at Everyone is Hot. That's every number one is hot uh, pod. And uh, Shelly, uh, what can the listeners do? Well, Michael, I think that they should stay Say horny. Horny.